I just want to, we don't get this opportunity very often, but I'd like to invite Pastor Javier to come up and just give a word to us of greeting from the Evangelical Church in Cuba. Um, this church is just so alive and it's exploding in its influence in that country. And so would you welcome Pastor Javier? Would you, would you come and bring a greeting? We, we say pastors here that are, that are in partnership with us are really pastors to our congregation. So this is your pastor who's greeting you this morning. Go ahead. Thank you, Pastor. What a privilege. What a joy to be able to be here with my wife. It's been such a tremendous experience for us, partnering, partnering in, uh, in the work of the gospel and what the Lord is doing in Cuba. For us, it's been a challenge and a joy to go and just proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and see what God is doing in the church in Cuba. When we first met uh, Pastor Sean and also Sarah and all the team and the family from Northland, we already began to see the blessing that it was for us to be in partnership with people that are passionate about the gospel, about the Lord, and committed to it. And now that uh, we have had the privilege for the first time to be here in Northland, uh, we are able to not only sense the presence of God, we are able to witness what God has been doing, and we're just so delighted for the opportunity that God has given us. Let me just say that uh, what we have witnessed in Cuba is nothing less than the faithfulness of God working through his church who remains faithful to him in the midst of difficult circumstances, but believing that our God is an awesome God and that he is able to do mighty things in those that believe in him. So thank you so much for your part in what God is doing in Cuba. Thank you for your many prayers and your commitment and your support. It is just amazing. And just let me finish by saying that as we were singing about that joy, uh, I couldn't but think about the joy of Christ seeing the fruit of his sacrifice on that cross, including those that believe in him in Cuba. Thank you so much Amen. for the Amen. opportunity. Thank family. you, brother. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. As he's on his way back to his seat, let's, let's pray for the church in Cuba, okay? Lord, thank you for this time with our brother Javier and, and, and all that he represents. We pray for your church in Cuba. We know that it is... Um, expanding and, and people are coming to faith in Christ. We know that's a difficult and sometimes a persecuted church, but we pray that you will overcome uh, and that your son Jesus will be made known to the entire nation and, and, and millions will come uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, let me tell you where we are in the, in the series. This is Advent, of course. Advent means coming. Advent is traditionally in the church, the season where we prepare for Christ by going through the Christmas story again, knowing that the Christmas story is not just for our remembrance, it's for our invitation. 
because Christ is not done coming into the world through his chosen people. He initiated this at one time at his incarnation, but he has been doing this through his people ever since. And so we take parts of the Christmas story and we're seeing if we can identify with those, what part of that uh, has a part in our life. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the long journey, the part of the Christmas story with the Magi and with Mary and Joseph having to go uh, 70 miles. Some of the best things in life come only at the end of a long journey. There are no shortcomings or no shortcuts to the best things in life. Then last week I talked about just the opposite. There are things that happen in your life that are so sudden and so traumatic that it calls for a response, a response that should drive you into prayer. When that angel came into Mary's room, it was such a shock to her and it called for a response. And so I talked about the four levels of prayer. I talked about how the first level of prayer, even the pagans do, and that's when we go to God and we want stuff and we ask him for stuff. And, and, and God is pleased that we ask him. He likes to be asked. But sometimes he doesn't give us what we want. And it drives us to the second level of prayer. And the second level of prayer is, well, God, I don't have to have what I ask you for, but I'd at least like to know what you're doing. I'd like to understand why I didn't get it. And sometimes he'll give us some inkling of understanding and sometimes he won't. And when he doesn't, it drives you to the third level of prayer, the deeper level of prayer, where you say, God, I don't have to have what I ask for. I don't even have to know why. Just give me someone that can help me feel and sense your presence or give me a peace that passes understanding a sense of your nearness and sometimes he does but sometimes he doesn't sometimes you feel forsaken and alone sometimes you know what jesus might have felt on that cross my god my god why hast thou forsaken me and when that happens, and only when that happens, can you really go genuinely to the fourth level of prayer, the deepest level of prayer, the prayer that says, God, I don't have to have what I ask you for. I don't even have to know why. I don't even have to sense your nearness. Behold, I am your bond servant. Be it done to me according to your word. That's what Mary prayed. She was in her fourth level of prayer. Now, <clears throat> after I preached that to you last week, <clears throat> I went out in the hallway, and one of you had an improvement on my sermon. You are always so kind, many of you, to have improvements for my sermons. <laughs> I really appreciate it. It shows you're listening. It shows you're very involved. And, and, and not surprisingly, you're a very smart people. <clears throat> and so this improvement was really good. She said, you know, I love the four levels, but 
you left out the fifth, le fifth level. I said, well, what is the fifth level? She said, joy. I thought, you're absolutely right. How providential that for months, this message on joy would be following because when we say that, God, I am yours on your terms, there is a deep joy that follows. You know, even the world has a little inkling of joy, even in our flesh, even in our animal selves. You know, there's, a, <clears throat> there's some sort of response, there's some sort of joy. <clears throat> Kent Crockett tells this story about this guy going into a hotel lobby. And he looks off to his left, and there's three guys playing cards with a dog. Playing cards with a dog. He goes up, he's so curious. <clears throat> and it looks like the dog's kind of winning. And, and he goes over, and, 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 and he says to one of the guys, he said, boy, that must be a really smart dog. And the guy says, yeah, it is, but he's a lousy poker player. And he said, why? He says, because every time he goes to... Uh, gets a good hand, his tail just starts wagging. <clears throat> you know, there's a response that you can't suppress even in the flesh. When you get something good, it just wants to come out. How much more? This is a biblical formula. Jesus used this many times. If the world does it like this, how much more should our response be to our Heavenly Father? There comes a part in the Christmas story where Mary is so overwhelmed that she is directed by the angel Gabriel toward sharing it with someone. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 36, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Well, that's all it took for Mary. It says in verse 39, now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city, to a, to a city uh, of or in, in Judah. This was about a four days uh, journey. And entered the house of Zacharias. Now, by the way, Zacharias, you know, the, the father of John the Baptist, the one who doubted the angel and said, give me a sign. And the angel said, okay, I'll give you a sign. You won't be able to talk until your son's born. In, in the interim time, between that time and the time of the birth of John the Baptist, he plays the, pot, the part of a potted plant, basically. Many of you husbands know what this is like. When your wife is with child, you don't know quite what to say, so you just don't say much. You kind of play the part of a potted plant. And so, and so Zacharias isn't talking. He enters into the house of Zacharias. And watch this. It says, she greeted Elizabeth. Enters into the house of Zacharias. Greets Elizabeth. Now, let's stop right here. What's happening? First of all, God knows that whatever happens to us, good or bad, we're not supposed to go through it alone. We were made for relationships. And so the news, whether it's good or bad, you know, the devil always tries to isolate us or tries to get, rather get us to self-isolate. 
That's his big goal. If he can get us to self-isolate, then he takes away the strength that is around us. But there's a creation mandate. A creation mandate, it is not good for a man to be alone or a woman. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now in Hebrew, this means corresponding one or one who talks back. I'm going to give him someone who talks back to him. Now there's a whole routine I can do on this, and I'm not going to do it because there's a, the time is short. But, but I want you to know that when the angel said to Mary, your kinswoman, Elizabeth, who was too old to have children, now knows what it's like, in essence, to have God work a miracle in her life. You need to be with someone who understands that God is still working. And I want you to go and be with her. This is a creation mandate. It's not just for Christians. There's a book out called Science and Relationships. And it takes Years and years of scientific study knows nothing of the spiritual realm. Because this was woven into creation. And guess what it says after experiment after experiment, survey after survey, year after year of research. Guess what it says? We have a fundamental need for relationships. Duh. You know, if you don't have relationships... You get sick more often, you die earlier, you're, 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 the relationships you do have will break up. If you, if you don't, if you, if you do have relationships, you get the opposite positive effects. Now think of this in a spiritual term. If God is doing something in your life, what does he want you to have? He wants you to have fellowship with other people who know what's where. You know, he, everybody knows that when we're going through, especially something traumatic, that bonds us to other people. I don't know how many times you have ever been in an emergency room, waiting room, in the emergency ward waiting room. Over 45 years of ministry, I've been there many, many, many times. And let me tell you something that happens there. And if you've ever been there, you'll know this. Those who stay there for more than a few hours, those who are there for a long time immediately become friends. Because crisis bonds you together. Because we have this innate sense that we need each other. Because when we feel overwhelmed we naturally have an affinity toward those who will walk with us through that time all of us have a heart for the underdog right I mean I Becky and I went to see the most recent movie in the Rocky series I love the Rocky series you know, because it's all about underdogs, right? All of it. And when I was when I was young, growing up, I I watched um, the Gillette Saturday Night Fights with my with my grandfather, and I'd always ask him who are we rooting for. 
And he looked at me every time and he'd say, Joey, we always root for the underdog. It's just what we do. And that's what we, so we went to, we went to Creed. That's, that's the Apollo Creed's son. You know, this is, this carries it into the next generation. I saw several of you there, by the way. Yeah, because we all have this heart for the underdog and we have this affinity. When we are in trouble or they are in trouble to walk it through together. See, God knew that and he said, Mary, go to Elizabeth because she's 80 stinking years old and she's having a baby. Now, now listen to this. I don't want you to think because they're underdogs, they haven't got joy. Just the opposite. They've got overwhelming joy. Why? Because God is in them. God is working in them. You know, when we have to go through the crosses that we have to go through, some of them are of our own making. Some of them others have arranged for us. But when we go through the trials we go through, the point is never the trial, is it? In Hebrews, what does it say about Jesus? Pete read this verse to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now here's what I want you to see. Many people think that the cross was the high point of Jesus existence on earth. It's when he got everything accomplished. But the cross was not the point of Jesus' existence. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What does that mean? It means what God wants to do in every one of us and through every one of us and through every one of our trials to give a gift to the world that the world didn't have before. Pete said it well. What did Jesus not have before the cross? You. What did you not have? What did I not have before the cross? Eternal life. Life that was this overwhelming gift of grace for the joy of giving that to us for the joy of living in us, he endured the cross. When you understand that joy that is there in the midst of the cross, you understand God perhaps for the first time deeply. I talked with two people this week, kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Both of them had been people of great means and blessed circumstances. The first one still was. He was a person, good job, good marriage, good kids, good 
you know, um, um, respect, good future, good, 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 good everything. But he was so upset over this one thing that had happened to him. That's all he could focus on. All he could focus on. He was so frustrated, so wanting to blame, so angry. But I wondered how much he really understood the gospel. Then I talked with another man who has virtually had everything to, he was very successful in his life. As a matter of fact, if I mentioned his name to you, most of you would know this name. And his life has come crashing down around him, partially because of his own choices. And he's willing to admit that. He's willing. But he's lost everything the world would say uh, is of value. He's even losing his health. He could hardly walk. He was so battered by what he had been through. But when I talked to him, he had this inner strength because he still knew that he was God's and that God would use him yet. He still knew that God had a plan for his life. He still trusted. And I admired him. He admitted to me, I thought about killing myself. He admitted that to me because he knew. But he said, I won't. I thought this is the one who understands the depth of joy. I know for many of us, the holidays are difficult times. We are the ones who most need the depth, the joy that the gospel offers, that Christmas is. I read this letter that a man had written to someone in the third century. He was about to die and he knew it. And he wrote this letter to his friend and this is what it said. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of it, a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are the masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians and I am one of them. I want us to understand what's happening in this room. I want us to understand 
what these two women are sharing. It says in verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Now the baby's, this is John the Baptist, six months old. You remember, you had some movement at six months. Sometimes they corresponded to the sounds from outside. Some of you have come here and we've been worshiping with loud songs and drums and your baby's just been kind of worshiping alongside. This is what it says. It says the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out, cried out with a loud voice saying, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now stop right there. This is really important. Do you know how many doubts a teenage girl must have had with what she just heard from an angel? I mean, let's, let's talk realistically here. I mean, she saw the angel, but she's gotta be thinking, oh my goodness, did I really hear that? How many of you have gone through these experiences where you have said to yourself, did I really hear that? And it took an independent confirmation that you really heard that. And that's exactly what God provides in Christian fellowship. That requires two ingredients. First of all, you've got to be pray. You've got to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he will give you special revelation that will come out of your mouth to someone else. That's exactly what happened here. It came, how am I privileged that the mother of my Lord would come and see me. Blessed are you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And what that did in Mary was to say, it wasn't my imagination. God told her too. And the second thing we need is not just the special revelation is the courage to actually say something. Do you know how important it is for you to speak faith into one another? To you to recognize the gifts that they have, that they will never recognize themselves without you. Do you understand what that is? When I was a kid, I told you, I, I was a buggerhead. And every teacher I had looked just to get through the year with, with me. You know, that was their goal. If I can survive Joey Hunter, I'm going to be doing great. And I got to third grade. And there was a teacher who just saw in me what nobody else saw. Have you had teachers like that? You had a teacher who just zeroed into you, on you, or, or a relative, or a friend who just said, do you understand what you have? That's what this teacher did. Her name was Joy Bethel. No surprises there. Joy Bethel. And she looked at me one day and she said, Joy, I don't know how, Betty, how everybody misses this, but you are such a gift to this world. I was so taken back. 
I mean, I'm a third grader for crying out loud. I think I'm just two jumps of going to prison. Seriously. I seriously thought that. I said, I, I'm just, it's only a matter of time. And she looked at me and she said, you have such a gift inside of you. You are such a gift to the world. Changed my whole life. Changed my whole life. Do you understand how important it is that you speak faith into someone's life? Because until your confirmation, they'll think they were just dreaming. It goes on to say in verse 44, it goes on to say, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. There it is. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Think of the release that this was for Elizabeth. And then Mary released. Just one more verse, it, verse 47. Or verse 46, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. The, the word in Greek means magnifies or that probably a better way of putting it is the Lord has now just taken a bigger proportion of the attention of my life. And, and, and then she goes on to say, and my spirit has rejoiced, rejoiced in God, my Savior. I want to tell you two things, and then I'm going to pray. <laughs> we are of all people of the, on the earth the most blessed. Partly because you have to understand who's inside of you. You ever want to Google something worthwhile? Google Christ in me. You get all of these scripture verses including 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that just simply asks you a question. Do you not understand that Jesus Christ lives in you? What else is there? What greater joy? The one who made the universe, the one who guides the universe, the one who's sovereign over the universe is living in you. How can we not? have joy no matter what our circumstances seriously we just keep insisting you know Charlie Brown used to say you know Charlie Brown the kid with a crown of thorns on his sweater that's what that is that's a crown of thorns and he's just this morose little boy at one point he says I've learned to dread only one day at a time that's how he lived life let me just, this just in. That's how many of you are living life. Really? We hold on rather than release the joy that is within us, that is ours. Some of you remember the, 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 the author Bruce, Bruce Larson. He wrote it was years ago, you know, generation ago. He's a big time writer, you know, and he said, I went to a gathering of Presbyterians in Omaha one time. Now, true story. I kid the Presbyterians all the time. I'm kind of, re I'm reformed in theology, but, but, you know, I always kid my Presbyterian brothers about not, you know, being tremendously exuberant. You know, it's just not, not happening. And, and, 
And so he said, honestly, there was this gathering of Presbyterians. And of course, in your, in, if you're Presbyterian, you're, you, you're not really free to kind of let loose and, you know, praise the Lord and hallelujah. And it, it's just not done. I, my, two of my grandchildren go to, uh, three of my grandchildren go to Geneva school and they had a, their program in, in one of the huge churches. And, and, and you could tell the people who were from Northland in there because after every song, the people, the people from Northland go, Nobody was applauding. And after every song we were wanting to go, ah, ain't happening. So they knew that. So what they did with these Presbyterians, they gave them helium-filled balloons. Seriously, every one of them in this, in this service, helium-filled balloons. And what they said was, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to make any sound, but when you feel the joy of the Lord, just let go of your balloon, whenever that is. You know, and then we'll just see these balloons going up to the ceiling. Larson said after that service, over a third of those people still had their balloons. <laughs> they weren't about to let those balloon, balloons go. And I look and I go, how many people are living that? Let your balloon go for crying out loud. Seriously, you got it. Because when you do, let me tell you what happens. The enemy scatters. The enemy scatters. I'm kind of a history buff. And I read some time ago about a general, uh, a field marshal, Massima in Napoleon's army. He was one of those underdogs. You know, a lot of... Marshals, um, uh, field marshals, grew up in noble birth and they were educated and so on and so forth. This guy had nothing going for him but his smarts. And he rose to the rank of commander field marshal in Napoleon's army. And they were going into conquer Austria. 18,000 of them surrounded this little town. The little town was up on a hill. And they knew only a matter of time before the Austrian army would come and they would be at a disadvantage because they were down at the bottom of the hill. Well, this little town woke up on Easter morning and looked down, there's 18,000 French troops. And one of them said, well, let's just avoid bloodshed and give up. And one of them said, wait a minute, it's Easter. What do we do on Easter? We celebrate. We ring the bells. Let's do that and leave the rest to God. That's exactly what they did. They just started ringing the bells. The French troops thought they were ringing the bells in celebration that the Austrian troops had come and they dispersed. They retreated at the sound of the bells. I want to tell you something about the devil in your life. If you determine I'm going to be joyful anyhow, he has to retreat because he knows how the book ends. And so do you. Stand up and pray with me. Lord, you have given us the greatest gift and that is Jesus in us. 
And if there's anyone in the sound of my voice this morning that doesn't have Jesus in them, they can have that simply by asking him, Lord Jesus, come and live in my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I could never pay for my own sins, but you paid for them and you offered me the gift of salvation and the indwelling of your spirit. I want that. Come and live in my life. And for all of us that have already said that prayer, Lord, here's what we ask. We ask that you would give us this sense of joy that goes deeper than the misery we legitimately feel, than the pain that we unintentionally carry. Help us to be reminded, not only by your spirit, but by each other, that you're not done with us yet. No matter what the cross, there is joy set before us after. And help us to speak into each other's lives. What a great gift God has implanted in you. Help us to bring that into the world and help us to celebrate that you have overcome the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go today, let me remind you, if you're in the Longwood room, there's a prayer team up here. Love to pray with you. Those of you online, Nathan Clark and Bill Gary has your back or your front. Um, remember Christmas Eve. We need cheerful volunteers. If you're grumpy, come on. You need, you need to come here for Christmas. If you're cheerful, you need to volunteer. We need hundreds of volunteers. So if you want to volunteer, stop by the hub or you can sign up online. But now, let's go out, ring our bell. In the name of God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, go out in great joy. Amen.